following podcast is a Jill Divine Media production. Half the time, Jill, I didn't know I had um, postpartum depression. It never occurred to me. So half the time that I was depressed, I did not know that that's what it was. I had never been depressed and I had never had a child. So I, it, for me, correlation was causation. So I thought, oh, well, I'm a mom now and this is how I feel as a mom. So obviously being a mom sucks. And I did not realize that I was depressed. I've always been perfectly healthy, no mental issues. Why on earth would I have postpartum depression, you know? This episode of Two Kids and a Career is brought to you by Elemental Aesthetics. You can be guaranteed that your experience is going to be unique and customized to your specific needs. See how they can help you focus on natural beauty enhancements by visiting ElementalAesthetics.com. Hi there, and welcome to Two Kids in a Career. I'm Jill Devine. As an entrepreneur, wife, and mama, the daily grind of trying to build a business while taking care of kids and trying to maintain a healthy connection with my hubby, it's a lot. With this podcast, you're going to hear candid conversations with other moms, parenting experts who can share their knowledge and insight, or you'll just hear me rambling to get it all out. There's going to be tears, there's going to be laughter, but most importantly, there will be support. Take a listen and connect with me so we can grow and learn from one another. This is Two Kids and a Career. Welcome to episode 116. And on launch date, this is August 17th, the first day of school, which means I have a kindergartner. Suzanne, oh my gosh, I have a kindergartner. Uh, It's hitting me me today. Yeah. Oh, we have kindergartners. Do you also have a preschooler? Uh, No, the kindergartner is my youngest. Oh, I'm so sorry. You've got a preschooler and a kindergartner. Right. I could use the sorries and the prayers. Um, well, let me introduce my guest. I cannot say her last name as well as she can, obviously, but I'm going to try Suzanne Yatim Aslam. It's perfect. Yay! <laughs> I'm known to butcher a last name or two, but Suzanne, I am welcoming you to this podcast. It's so fun because, uh, well, obviously we'll talk about why you're on, but you're a St. Louis gal too, but you're not in St. Louis now. Let's go that route or Back me up because you and I had this conversation via email, but the listeners should know because I am from the St. Louis area and a lot of listeners are from the St. Louis area. Oh, are they? Okay. Hi, guys. I miss you. Um, (laughs) I grew up in St. Louis. I moved there when I was four and I stayed there till I was about 22 and I hated leaving. Um, I just, I just love, I love that place so much. And my favorite place in the country is Forest Park and, um, Mm. I love all the access to the, you know, the, all that free stuff with the art museum and the history museum and the science center or in like cheap. I remember trying to get cheap tickets to the Muni when I was a poor college kid. Yeah. Um, I just, I love, I love it so much. And um, I live in Scottsdale now in Arizona, but uh, St. Louis is my home. Like if I ever see anybody in a St. Louis ball cap, I just go, I go crazy. They think I'm a lunatic, but I just miss, <laughs> I just miss my people. I miss my people. Do you still have family here? I do. And then even if I'm like in a different state and people are like, where are you from? I will say St. Louis. I, I don't really claim Phoenix as my home. Okay. So then how often do you, you get to come back to St. Louis? Not as often as I'd like. My parents live there. My sister lives there. But, you know, when you've got kids and you're just trying to coordinate stuff and that stuff just becomes a little less important over time, which mm-hmm. kind of sucks. Mm-hmm. So unless there's a real, I keep saying like to my cousins, I'm like, somebody get married or, you know, 
something so I can come out there. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. All right. Well, of course, I would love to keep talking about the St. Louis connection. But for those that are not familiar with St. Louis, they're going to really want to move on in the conversation. So we will do just that. Tell me how many kiddos you have besides the kindergartner. Yes, I've got two boys. Sammy um, is in second grade now. And Ronan, um, he's five. He's my little kindergartner. I know. I can't believe it. I, well, I Like, I knew it was going to happen, obviously. But now that the day's here, it's like, whoa, wait a minute. We, we're, yeah, we're in that next stage. We're, we're there. For me, when I put on his uniform, because kindergarten yes. were uniforms like a really big deal because the preschoolers don't wear them and they're in the same class with the kindergartners. So like they see the kindergartners and they're like, oh my God, they get to have backpacks and uniforms. Like what a thing. And so when he put his on for the first time, he was so proud and he just looked Mm. so like, he looked like a different person, you know? Right. Um, Same, same, same. Oh man, we have a lot to talk about. Okay. So Suzanne, (laughs) you are a former actor and you have a little title to your name. Can you tell me what that is? Yes. As of actually this year, it's really weird. Um, Former (laughs) Miss Arab USA. All right. How does that all come about? I don't know anything about the pageantsy world. I don't either. I am not a pageant person. It is not my jam, but I was an actor and I was an activist. And so for me, I wanted it for my platform. Um, I'm, I was a struggling actress in Phoenix. We have a commercial industry here. So I, would, I had an agent and I would shoot commercials. But that's not why you get into acting. You get into acting for the performance. So, you know, you're tr- trying to get your name out there and trying to get your face out there. And this, I saw this thing and it happened to be down the street from where I lived. And I was like, well, that's convenient. So I ran. Um, and also hoping that, you know, I could raise awareness about just things that are going on that I really cared about. And, um, and I shockingly won. Shockingly. I am not, I am not a pageant girl. I'm not a girly girl. Um, I don't know how to do my own hair. Like I just, that just, I don't, I'm not good at any of that stuff, but I'm, I've been an actor my whole life. So I've got this, like, I've got a really good presence that I don't get, I'm not shy and I can be on stage and talking to a microphone and I'm fine. So I think, I think that kind of gave me a bit of a, of a, an edge. So how was the rest of pageantry life? Is that even a, two words that I would use? I mean, how, how did that play out? You could use those words. I don't know. Okay. Uh, I hate it. I hated it. I hated it because they control you so much. I didn't get to have a platform. I didn't get to do the things that I wanted to do. And then I had to do so many photo shoots. And you and I were talking before we were recording, like how you're really comfortable on radio and I'm really comfortable <laughs> on video. I am not comfortable in photo shoots, like just staring at a camera. And like the fake out. laugh, like fake laugh. Uh-huh. And, and you're just like silent. Yeah. They criticized my smile. My smile's too big and my gums show too much. And so they like forced me to have a smaller smile. And so I felt even more fake. I, I hated it. So, you know, I like, I'm proud of, I'm proud that I won and I'm proud. My dad's an immigrant. Well, my, both of my parents are immigrants, but like you should have seen him rush the stage when I won. Cause I felt like I had sort of kind of figured it out. Like I had I had made him proud in this way where like I could Mm -hmm. still be an American and we were proud to be here, but I was still holding on to our roots and I had made it known to the entire Middle East. And so my dad was just like, he was like fighting security guards to rush the stage. 
Um, so the winning was really, really cool and um, something that I'm very proud of. But the year after all the like all the crap that you have to do, it's just that part wasn't enjoyable. Well, when you took on this title, it was Miss. And so I wanted to ask about your platform and what you were really passionate about. Um, and I bring that up because I know what you're passionate about now. And maybe it's still the same, but I would think at that level, like I said, being a miss, not a missus, what was going on in your life that you wanted to bring awareness to? Um, the the biggest things, you know, aside from wanting the platform as an actress, um, I was really uh, passionate about a few things. So my, my major at Webster University in St. Louis was international human rights. And I was one of the mm. people at the time to have graduated with a degree in human rights. It wasn't a thing at the time. Um, and uh, so I was really passionate about my family's Palestinian and they grew up under apartheid. So that's something that I've always been really passionate about. Um, the war in Syria was just brewing like crazy. And there was just so much suffering with children in particular that really, really, really upset me. And in my college years, I had gotten involved with some organizations like Amnesty International and Invisible Children, which was an organization that um, helped to raise awareness and rescue child soldiers in northern Uganda. Mm. And I had gone to like I'd gone to Washington, D.C. And we even got at the time we got a bill passed, like Obama signed a bill into law um, to help um, send intelligence to to northern Uganda to try to capture the the leader of the rebel army that was taking children and using them as soldiers. Um, and so for me, it was like it was mostly about the Palestinian issue was was as a whole, like people as a my people as a whole. And then the other things were really about um, children. It mm. just really upsets me till now um, that whenever there's a conflict, it's always I mean, who, who suffers the most. It's always children. And I just, I can't ever wrap my head around how people are okay with it. Me either. And, you know, they're these innocent beings. And, you know, I often think about that too, with just even, I mean, any hurt is hurt. Mm -hmm. um, but like thinking about just, oh, I, I can't go there actually. I just really can't go there. It's, 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 yeah. So I imagine those are some big things that you probably are still super passionate about. Yeah. Um, it ch Things change when you have kids, man. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm super passionate about that stuff, but I'm not as I'm not active um, because I have two kids mm -hmm. um, and I can't like like I've gone out, Jill, and I've put myself in the line of fire. Like I was I was not just like a behind a computer activist. I I I. I've had, like, I've been tear gassed and I've had rubber bullets being shot at in my direction. Um, I'm, I'm not, that stuff doesn't scare me. So, but it scares me now. I don't want to do that. Yeah. Now. You know, I've, I have to be more responsible. I've got children to take care of. So I had to kind of slow things down and I did in my acting too. I don't act anymore. And so those are kind of a bummer because I feel like huge parts of me that I actually really love died when I had children. Um, and I, for a while, which is kind of what the book was about, like for a while, I was like mourning the loss of that lady. But do you think though she can come back with a twist? I think she. Okay. I think she comes back with a twist. Like I don't. I don't really see myself putting myself, you know, in the line of literal fire anymore. 
Okay, well, let's dig into this. This is why I have you on today is because you do have a book. And oh my goodness, just reading this, I'm like, well, yeah, that's what this podcast is about. So you have a book called Post Pardon Me, and you address the dark thoughts that, quote, so many mothers have but are too scared to say out loud. She's thrilled to get this book into the hands of mothers who may be struggling with postpartum depression and anxiety. And that was really how this podcast came about. I was having these thoughts and these feelings that nobody prepares you for. Mm -hmm. Like everybody has an opinion and everybody has, um, you know, some sort of piece of knowledge that they want to give you when you're pregnant. But it's all the things that I don't even know if practical is the right word, but like, you know, you're never going to sleep again Mm -hmm. and it's going to cost you lots of money and this and this and this. But just talking about those feelings and those thoughts that you're having, I was not prepared. And so I am super, super interested to hear your story and to hear more about this book. Well, the the thing that I like that you said was how you're nobody prepares you for it. And it's so interesting because the way you are prepared, and I bring this up in the book, is through oftentimes through things that we see in the media. And so we create mm-hmm. sort of like just, you know, through movies and TV shows and things that we love, we create this sort of amalgamation of one sort of individual character that you can't really put a face to, but you just know like, oh, when a person's water breaks, you rush to the hospital. Every single person in your life rushes there with you. Uh huh. And then the baby's born. And uh, whoa, nope. that's not how it happens. <laughs> no. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Um, I had no idea. And so it's just so interesting because the and, and then when you think about it, it's funny because I, I am an actor. I should have realized. But you have to things have to be dramatic on television. That's OK. Like, it would right. be really boring if you just was like, oh, my water broke. And then seven hours later, you went to the hospital. Um, so they have to add that element. And uh, but I took it as, as, as reality because I didn't know any better. So it was really interesting to kind of be like, oh, everything you actually know is wildly inaccurate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even I thought I was having a miscarriage. And I remember being like on the way to the hospital thinking I was having the miscarriage. I was like, what if the baby died? And then I thought, oh, how would I respond to this? And I almost was asking as if like, how do people respond? And then I'll respond based off of how other people have responded. I wasn't mm-hmm. actually like going within myself and deciding does this upset me? Does this not upset me? And I, cause I couldn't figure it out. I was like, maybe, maybe I won't be upset. And then is that bad? And then, you know, and I was kind of dealing with that. So instead of trying to understand myself, I was just like, well, how do people respond when they have a miscarriage, you know? And all of that's just because you see the world through, through film in a lot of ways. So was your first child, did you experience the depression and the anxiety after that birth right away or not at all? Or when did you know? So in hindsight, I had perinatal depression and didn't know it. And I learned that just by writing the book. Um, and you know, okay. So explain that. So I was eight months pregnant and I had gone to a kid's birthday party and, um, 
I had never yet been to a birthday to a, in a, in a setting with a bunch of kids who I wasn't related to. So now I'm an adult and I'm married and I'm like meeting new people. And this one particular person had a kid. And so we go to the kid's birthday party at this park and there's all of these other people who I don't know. And I, I was like, like these people were unable to talk about anything other than children. And then I'm eight months pregnant. So I've got this massive belly and people can only talk to me about my massive belly. And mm-hmm. I remember being really, really upset because like I like to talk about creative stuff and I like to talk about world politics and I like to like and and people just wanted to ask me the gender of my baby and how far along I was and where I'm delivering and all that stuff. And I just didn't really care. Like I wasn't very attached to my baby at that point. It was all just very like sterile and logical to me. I didn't really have an emotional attachment and I was getting really annoyed that people Mm. only saw me as like this baby maker. And so after a while, my body started to feel really, 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 really heavy and I couldn't conjure up any happy thoughts. And I told my husband, Kassam, I'm like, we need to go home. And um, we went home and I laid on the couch the rest of the day. I could not get up. And I just felt like what, what I now realize was the beginning of depression where it kind of hit me like, this is who I am now and I'm not okay with it. Um, but the physical response that I felt, because it wasn't just mental, because you can be like annoyed and, you know, be like, I'm so depressed and, you know, and not really mean you're actually literally depressed. Um, but the physical response that I had where I felt so weighted is something that I had never experienced before. Um, but because I'd never experienced before and I had never been pregnant before, I just thought that it was a part of pregnancy, you know, cause it, you get fatigued and things. Um, so I didn't know that that's what that was. And then, so I kind of just dismissed it and I, I kind of suffered along through my last couple months of pregnancy. Um, and then after I had Sammy, you get the baby blues, which people do. And so for those moms yeah. who, um, are pregnant, the baby blues is, is normal and you're going to have them for the first few weeks after your baby's born and your body's going to hurt and you're going to be sad and you're going to burst into tears for absolutely no reason um, because you put a sock on the other foot and you didn't mean to and it's just like something make any sense um and it is it just is what it is well i will say this is when i was pregnant with our second and there at one point um, I started crying and my husband's like, what is wrong? I said, you know, cause this is a big, huge joke with some certain people. I'm like, you know how much I love the smell of lavender and I can't smell it. It's making me sick. And I mean, he was <laughs> at this point knew like that he, and he like consoled me. And then later on we laughed about it. I was like, I cried over lavender. He's like, I know, but I just go with it. <laughs> What the hell? Yeah, it makes no sense. Also, I had the lavender thing too. So, oh, okay. I'm not alone. No, I can't. I, I bought like all these candles and then after I got pregnant, I couldn't use any of them. Uh, they're, they're anyway, um, so go yeah, ahead. So, so you have the baby blues and you get upset about candles and socks and it makes no sense. <laughs> and then a few weeks later, like you should kind of level out. Um, but I did not level out. And I had all of the same stuff. I had all of the fatigue, all of the the, the, the physical pain, like physical aches just deep in your bones. Um, I had a lot of mental stress. Uh, and then I started to blame my child. Um, I did not like him. 
because I had felt that he had ruined my life. Like his existence had ruined my life. I started to see me as this new person who couldn't be the activist, who couldn't be the actor, who couldn't go out and and you know, do overnight film shoots and, and all that stuff because I got this little thing that I have to take care of that sucks all the joy out of my life and my nipples hurt and et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, I didn't like him. I felt like he had, and then the logical part of you is like, you're an idiot. He, you asked for this, he did not. Um, and then there was just this constant battle, but the, the fatigue that I had felt that I told you about in my eighth month, like that really heavy, heavy feeling where you couldn't even conjure up a happy thought that stayed with me for about a year. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And you, okay. you, you fake it a lot or like you have yeah. good moments. It's not, a, you're not in a perpetual state of mourning. So you have good moments and you know, you still like your kid's still cute and his first laugh I, I, I laughed. I was, it was, it was a joyous moment. Um, you know, when he does something cute, it's fine. But one little thing went wrong. I would just go nuts and I couldn't, I couldn't understand how I was the same person that I, cause I just felt so like fragile, like emotionally fragile. And I didn't, I didn't like that. Let's hit pause on this week's conversation and talk about Elemental Aesthetics, one of the sponsors of the podcast. So when you think about August, you think, okay, I've had some fun over the last couple of months. I'm ready to get back into my routine. I'm ready to kind of get fresh, so to speak, and tackle the fall. And with amazing specials that Elemental Aesthetics has right now, you can do all of that. So let's talk about a couple of those. Laura is the FNP at Elemental Aesthetics. She's actually going to be on an upcoming episode, but we'll get to that at a different time. Anyway, this is a great month to go and visit her because she has a great detox promo going on. Four visits with her plus detox products for $5.95. It's going to get you ready for fall fun and festivities. Now, everyone's new favorite service is the Cool Peel. And it's a great price this month. You can get your face or your neck or your chest smoothed out and the summer spots lightened for just $5.95. And I will mention, and this happens every single month, when you make an appointment, tell them I sent you and you're going to get a, a nice little swag bag from Elemental Aesthetics. You can learn about all of the different specials right now at ElementalAesthetics.com. That's ElementalAesthetics.com. All right, back to this week's conversation. Uh, okay. Did you tell me the age difference between your two? Two years. Okay. So then you obviously get pregnant again. Mm -hmm. And what kind of state are you in at that point? Loneliness, panic attacks, lots of anxiety, which obviously from the panic attacks and pretty, pretty depressed. I don't know if I was as depressed. It's kind of hard. It's like a spectrum. It's not like you're either depressed or you're not. Um, so I was pretty depressed with my second one, but I was functional and you kind of have to be because you have a two-year-old. Right. So, um, I was functional. I was okay. But th the loneliness was harder because I – it's hard to leave the house with two kids. So mm -hmm. uh, one kid you can handle mostly. Well, you think you, you think you can't until you have a second one and then you're like, the first one was the breeze. Right. But so I just – it was just too hard. And Phoenix is hot. Like it's 111 today. Um, it's hot. So leaving the house – in the summer is just, it's insane. So I just kind of hunkered down, but I got really lonely. And my husband is, he owns his own company and which means he works a lot. He doesn't get to check out. It's not a nine to five sort of thing. Um, so he would just be gone 
and I was doing it alone. And then he got, he was getting more and more successful by the minute. And then he started traveling and he was speaking on stages and, and which means I was alone more. And, um, saying the words I'm lonely is a really, really hard thing to say. So it took me a while to admit it to myself even. Um, but that does not, that does not help the depression at all. No, no. So then when did you make a decision to just, I got to do something That's or this isn't right. That's the thing. So, so my book is, it's more of a cautionary tale because I didn't do the things that I was supposed to do half the time, Jill. I didn't know I was, I had, um, postpartum depression. It never occurred to me. So half the time that I was depressed, I did not know that that's what it was. I had thought, and this kind of is what is attributed to the way I felt about Sammy, but I had never been depressed and I had never had a child. So I, for me, correlation was causation. So I thought, oh, well, I'm a mom now, and this is how I feel as a mom. So obviously being a mom sucks. And I did not realize that I was depressed. Mm, Okay. Later, I had a friend who's a therapist and I, we didn't talk a lot, but I ended up talking to her and she was like, have you ever thought about the fact that you might have postpartum depression? And I was like, excuse me, what? I've always been perfectly healthy, no mental issues. Why on earth would I have postpartum depression? You know, um, but it's, it's different. Let me interject real fast because I want to get your perspective though with your OB. Was that never brought up to you? Like, hey, this is something you should look towards or look for, I guess I, is what it really what I mean, because I just know that that was something that I talked with a lot with my OB. Like she was really good about saying, okay, tell me how you're feeling. Tell me what's going on. Let, let me kind of walk you through some of the things to be aware of and, and then talk to me. Did you know when you were having those conversations that you were struggling with something outside of like, oh, just being a mom is hard? As I just mentioned that to you, I will be honest and say that I have struggled with depression for a number of years. So that now makes sense to me. That does make sense because she was looking out for me. She knew. She knew exactly. So now that I'm talking to you, yeah. If you didn't know what depression was at all, then... And so people would be like, how are you? And I'm like, I'm fine, because I just assumed that this was motherhood. And like, what is there to complain about or say or do? Because this is just mom life now. So, But were you... I mean, you said that people would say you'll have the baby blues, but were you... I guess, yeah, I guess that makes complete sense. If you don't know what is happening with you and you just... Yeah, you... If you don't know what you what, don't know. And what did you just say? Uh, what was it that you like the cause oh, and the causation? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That okay. That makes sense. Yeah. That so makes a lot of sense. What I I just wouldn't I just didn't know the difference. Um, and then when I when I realized that it could be that, I got really I got more depressed because I was mm. depressed that I was depressed. Yeah. And then which you now you've experienced this. So when you're in a state of depression, you're not like hmm, what are three logical steps that I can take to remove myself from this situation? Right. You know, Mm-mm. you're just floundering. And then now you're floundering and somebody gave you a baby. And you're just like, um, I don't have a life jacket. I don't know how I'm supposed to do this. 
So it got, it got like, I was just more depressed that I was depressed. And then I got angry because I have to figure out this new thing. And then I've got a baby to take care of. And like, how am I supposed to, where am I going to find the time to do this? And I don't have the energy to do it. And I don't care. I don't care anymore. So I kind of just like let myself sink into the depression. I want to say this before we move forward, because I am one of those people that I try to think about everyone and what they're, you know, how they're affected. It's I tend to carry people's burdens and empathy, I guess, is is one of my things. It's it's a, a good thing and also a bad thing. Oh, definitely. Um, with you there. What I want to say is if you are a woman listening right now, struggling to have a baby, I would either stop listening if it's triggering you or just be there for people like Suzanne and me and <clears throat> try to understand because it is so easy. And this is why I think a lot of times we don't have these conversations. We are sensitive to a woman who desperately wants to have a baby mm -hmm. and is unable to. I am so, so incredibly sorry for that woman and so sad for that woman. On the flip side, I can't allow someone to say that you're ungrateful or I'm ungrateful or somebody else that comes on and tells their story is ungrateful because this is a real life situation and being a mom is so incredibly hard and you add those emotions and you add those hormones and you add for me already a diagnosis of depression into it. It is hard. And I just had to say that because I, yes. I really appreciate you saying that. Um, one of the things that I, I struggled with, and I actually, I had a, I have a cousin, God bless her, who she, she was struggling to have a kid. And I was at the point in my, in my perinatal depression where I wasn't happy. And I remember um, me just, you know, saying something kind of not ugly, but just something like, not very grateful about my situation. And she was telling my mom, she's like, no, tell her to be happy. At least she could have a baby, you know? And I understand where she was coming from because she's so heartbroken and here I am nine months pregnant and not happy about it. Um, but I struggled with that too, because I, I was like, I felt like I was being a big fat baby. Um, I, as I said, my parents are immigrants and they don't come from, they come from quite a struggle. Like my mom was imprisoned when she was 12. My family mm -hmm. doesn't often have, sometimes the water just gets cut off. So like, I know, I know what real human struggle is like. I understand it and I've been there and I've seen it and I know it and I lived it. And I live in Scottsdale, which is a very uppity, beautiful town surrounded by palm trees and $100,000 cars. By the way, coming from St. Louis, like North County, and then you come here and you're just like, oh, <laughs> I've never understood like fancy people. Everybody calls me bougie. Like everybody from St. Louis, they're like, you're so bougie, you know? Um, and I guess I am. Like I've, I've got a pool, Jill, a pool. That, that means you're bougie it's for sure. Bougie, especially like <laughs> you can get a, a 
underground pool in St. Louis, you were like almost royalty. If you had an right. underground pool, like I just we couldn't be friends. We were just in a different socioeconomic bracket. Yep. Yep. Different tax bracket. Yep. So now I've got my pool and my palm trees and all that stuff. And I lived and I lived in, in safety. For me, that was my big thing. I'm like, we're safe. We have running water. I lived in a cute little condo. Um, I didn't have to work. I could stay home with the baby. And here I am being ungrateful and being unhappy and being a, just, a, just a baby about it. And I would struggle. I'd have these internal conflicts with myself where I'm like, you're being a baby, shut up. And then I'm like, no, but this is hard and I don't understand what's going on. It's like, well, you're being a baby, shut up, stop being so ungrateful. And I really, really constantly struggled the entire time because I felt like I shouldn't be feeling the way I was feeling, but then I couldn't control yeah. the way I was feeling. Well, I can't empathize with someone who is struggling because I do have two babies and I didn't struggle with them. Mm -hmm. um, but I just, there are so many times people think that they're alone in their thoughts. And if we keep, we can't always hold back. And so it does take these conversations. It doesn't mean we're not grateful at all, but we will screw ourselves over if we keep ourselves quiet and not talk about it. Yeah. And so that's what I, I wanted to say about that. Um, all right. So you have your second baby. You're still depressed and you're figuring it all out. Well, now you have a book. So something had to happen. <laughs> what yeah. made you? Again, this was, this was more of a cautionary tale because for me, I didn't do, I didn't take the steps that I should have taken until it was until later. Like I, I went into therapy after my second child. I should have done that sooner. I don't know why I didn't, but again, when you're, but you didn't know. You're not, yeah. And you're not making, it's just so hard to make logical decisions. And I didn't have the arsenal that I needed to like, if you know, now, and you're listening to this podcast and you're like, okay, interesting. Great. Therapy's useful. Oh, talking to your OB is useful. Like letting them know that this isn't how you normally feel useful. Good. So that, then you kind of keep it in the back of your head. So if you do come across these issues, you kind of have the tools at, 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 on hand. But me, I didn't, it didn't like never occurred to me to go see a therapist. It didn't occur to me to talk to my doctor about it. Do you know what I mean? So mm. um, I didn't have, I didn't have these tools. So I'm telling you guys, like, please just keep the tools on you. Keep it in mind. Make sure that this is a, a, like when you're pregnant, think like, okay, there's a possibility I could be, I could experience postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety because those are two different beasts. You can have one without the other. Um, and, you know, just kind of like have that floating in the back of your head. So if you do feel like something's off, you kind of, you can stop and think. But for me, it was just way later um, until I kind of made these discoveries. So I started going to therapy for me, it was just a time thing. Like over time, I kind of finally was figuring things out. I kind of stabilized a bit. Um, I started getting, Sammy was in preschool three half days and Ronan would take a nap before I picked up Sammy from preschool. And so like every day for two hours in the middle of the day, I had alone time to recharge. And I remember when that started happening, I had gotten my last panic attack and then I haven't had one since. And again, I don't know if correlation is causation, but for me, like I just kind of felt like I wasn't recharging at the end of the day and 14 hours later and the kids are asleep. No, it was the middle of the day. I got to do my own thing. Um, and I felt, I felt refreshed to kind of like go back out and finish tackling the day with the children. 
All right. Well, where are you right now in how you're feeling and motherhood and all of that? So here's what's really interesting. Here's when I knew I had this like aha moment when I came out of it. I So you get <laughs> you get mad at your kids when you're depressed and then you wait for it. Like you just know, okay, the heaviness is going to set in. Here I am. Like here it's com- it's coming. And because the way I, I kind of said it in the book is like you have this cloud that just kind of hangs out behind you and it just follows you around collecting thoughts, dark thoughts. And then one day you smell lavender and then <laughs> the cloud just burst and it's just this thunderstorm of, of, of depression. So for me, like I'd have a bad moment with the children and then I, it, without question, it was going to happen. The cloud was going to burst. And one time I was really upset at them about something or I was, I don't know, I was upset with the kids or at the kids or I don't know, I can't remember. And my, my body, my physical body was waiting. I was like, here it comes. It's going to happen. You know, it was like Pavlov's dog sort of thing. Um, and that, and then no feeling came, no depressive anything came. My body didn't feel heavy. I had a bad moment, a bad mom, child moment. And then I continued on with my life. Like I was kind of still in a bad mood, but that's not the same as getting mm-hmm. that like heavy, heavy feeling and feeling wildly dark and getting those dark thoughts about your children. And that just, it just didn't come. And that's when I knew, like, that's when I, I was, I, I was aware that I was out of it because I just, I felt the difference. And it was glorious. I've never been so happy to be upset at my children before. Well, how do you continue practicing self-care for yourself and treating this? Because, I mean, it's depression. It's anxiety. Mm. It's there. Mm. Um, Thankfully, I haven't felt depression since all of that subsided. Um, I think I was always a little anxious. Um, since I was a early teenager. Um, but it was like, it's like kind of mild and it exacerbated when I had children, it got really out of control. And I, you know, I'd feel like something was wrong and I always felt like I was like, on the verge of throwing up. And, um, I, I had this like desperate need when I got anxious, I would love to meet another person that, that felt this way. I, I became obsessed with sunlight obsessed. I had all the screens because again, we live in Phoenix. And so people are always trying to like stay out of the sun. And so we had these tinted screens in the condo and I made my husband take all the screens out because it's not like we had to, it's not like we could open the doors anyway and let the breeze in. So so there was no breeze. So I had him take all the screens off. um, So I could have as much light coming in as possible. And I, I, I just became obsessed with light and I felt like light was the only thing that could save me. And if it ever got a little bit dark, I would immediately sink into depression And I felt like light was all I had. I would just like sit in a little sliver of light that came through one side of the condo. Um, Yeah, it was really, really, really weird. So I, um, the depression went away and the anxiety, I've just sort of learned to like, I don't like the sound of silence. That's when my anxiety flares up sometimes. Okay. I don't know why, but again, this is how I've been since I was 11. Like it gets silent and then suddenly I just start freaking out. It's almost like my body's like, I don't want to hear what's inside of your head. Um, ah, okay. I, I think, I don't know. Um, but I start to get really, really uncomfortable. So I just do, I just make sure that like I, I'm listening to music or watching a show in the background. Like I'll just have a show on, you know, um, something that has a laugh track. So I'm, I, I kind of like, I feel upbeat. Um, and then I've been going to therapy 
and meditating, which I know is like people say all that stuff all the time. It's actually, it works. It right. works. Mm-hmm. And it's tried and true and it can be as cliche as you want it to be, but those things really work. The interesting thing that you said a little bit ago, and it's been brought up a couple times recently in my life, and it's something that I have talked about a few times on this podcast, and it's the toolbox. Mm. And it's equipping yourself with all of the different tools to help in your life and also the team. Who's the team that you're surrounding yourself with? Like, who's on your team, your for real team that you know that you can go to and and your team, it's not just like a therapist or your doctor. I mean, it's even things like your hairdresser, maybe your massage therapist, if you have one, it's, it's all of these things that help you become the best version of yourself. And so I really, really, really love talking about the toolbox because I also think the toolbox changes. You don't always need the same tools. But as we wrap up our conversation, I want to ask you about the toolbox. What else would you put in there or what else would you suggest to people to consider? Because it is something that you want to hear from others. You want to say, oh, I didn't think about that. I need to think about that. So I think it's really important to just to kind of dive in and understand the kind of person that you are and what your needs actually are as a human being, not a mother, but as a human being. So so there are times where I, I, I truly really love alone time. Like I, last week I went to the library on Sunday for four hours and I just mm. like I read and I wrote. I've been working on my new book and um, – I could I, I left because they closed. I would have stayed for two more hours. And then I took myself out to dinner and had a glass of wine and some Vegas rolls. And I read and I read for two more hours. And I came home and I was like, okay, good. Like my cup is filled. That's my that's what I like. Every once in a while, it's nice for me to go see somebody and kind of get recharged that way. Some people are extroverts and they recharge by being around other people. Um, I recharge by being alone. And um and so I think like we have to understand who we are as, a, as, as just an individual and what it is that we gain satisfaction from. So when I stopped acting, um, I, I was like desperate for a creative outlet because I know that the kind of person I am is I like to be creative and I like to be like, I like those kind of worlds where you just sort of like, you come out of yourself and you go somewhere else. Um, and so that's why I started writing because I needed something creative to do for me. It actually happened to be about motherhood in this book. Not all my books are going to be about motherhood, um, but it was still a creative outlet. Like I, the book is a, in the form of journal entries that are made up, but uh, all the situations are real. Um, but I wrote these journal entries later and I, there's dialogue in there. And so, and I, I love that. I love writing character dialogue. That's something that I've always really enjoyed and I feel like I'm pretty good at. And so I use those those skills and I use my desire to be creative and I use my need for alone time as sort of like not just coping mechanisms, but ways to make me feel more like me. Your book, Postpartum Me, that can be found wherever. Give all the deets. Uh, there's a few local places, but if you're not local, um, we can send you the link on Amazon. 
Okay. And I will have all of this on the show notes too at jilldevine.com. And that way we can make sure people get straight to the link, get to your book and just know that you're not alone. And I appreciate you, Suzanne. I know I hesitate sometimes when I'm talking because I do carry that. I don't want to offend someone. I don't want to do the wrong thing or say the wrong thing. And I appreciate that you don't hesitate. And that to me is super helpful. And I I really, really, really am so, so grateful for that. Oh, thank you so much. I, I know this sounds kind of obnoxious to say, but I was just trying to, I kind of want to be the friend to other people via this book that I didn't have. And I so desperately was looking for somebody that would say, yeah, motherhood sucks and I regret this and I hate this and you know all those things that I was thinking and nobody would admit to it because it's a terrible thing to say out loud. And so I'm saying it out loud for for us. And, and I just hope that I can just hold somebody's hand and let them know that it's okay and they're not always going to feel this way. I think you're going to have some more friends. I hope so. <laughs> Thank you, Suzanne. Thank you, Jill. It was so nice talking to you. All right. We're going to wrap up this week's episode before I officially say goodbye. Elemental Aesthetics running some great specials during this month. Take advantage. Go to ElementalAesthetics.com to learn more. Uh, A couple I want to highlight, the Splendor X Facial. That's going to help with acne and redness for a great price of $185. There's also a membership sale going on. You sign up for the membership program and you will get your first month for $179. This is only happening in August. And when you go to elementalaesthetics.com, you will see what the membership options are and what the services are for each of those options. There's just so many great things happening at Elemental Aesthetics. They are here to help you. They want you to feel your best. They want you to look your best. And they are absolutely amazing. So check them out, elementalaesthetics.com. And I would love for you to follow along on social media. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter, and you can see all the social handles for that at jilldevine.com. As always, thank you for your support of Two Kids and a Career. 